guys some praises for that. Let's get into our text today. I am excited. Uh, this word is so rich. Uh, Isaiah 35 is a, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of stuff concealed. Amen. That we really don't understand because God conceals it in the Old Testament. But then God, in all his wisdom, reveals what he concealed in the New Testament. And Isaiah 35 is pointing to what we are about to uh, get into today. Please keep that in the background. That whole pericope, that whole passage that we uh, just read, my sister just read, because that leads us into this lesson, this teaching today. If you will, turn with me to Mark chapter 7, 31 to 37. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. It's up on the screen, but I'll read it in your hearing. The Bible says, and again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to them, Ephatha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done. All things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. Well, for a short period of time, I want to talk to you around the subject. He does all things well. Turn to your neighbor and look them right in their face. Don't look at me. Look at your neighbor and tell them, he does all things well. You're still looking at me. I see you're still looking at me. Look at your neighbor. Amen. He does all things well. It's a terrible thing not being able to hear. Have you been in a restaurant eating with a large group of people? A spirited conversation is going on at the other end of the table. You want to know what's going on, but you can't hear. You're cut off from the conversation. Or perhaps your hearing is failing from the age, from age or other problems. Even normal conversations are strained to you. You're tired of asking people to repeat themselves or guessing at what they just said. You can imagine then the isolation that comes to someone where they feel that they cannot hear or they 
are completely deaf. Well, considering the time that this deaf man, it was really a hard situation for him because they didn't have closed captioning back then or anything like that. This man in the gospel was feeling the damaging effects of the fall in his body in a very real way. He couldn't hear properly. The passage today opens with Jesus leaving the Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon, heading back to Galilee. But Jesus and the men do not go straight back to the Jewish country. Look at verse 31 in our text. It says, uh, it says that, but Jesus and the men do not go straight back. Uh, they went to Decapolis. If you look at where they were and where they were headed to, you'll see that Jesus and his men took the long way around. Scholars tell us that a journey of this nature might have taken as long as eight months on foot. If this trip took that long, it would have represented about 20% of the Lord's total earthly ministry. What was he doing? We can only speculate, but I would imagine that he was teaching them and training them for the difficult days ahead. This will be one of the last opportunities that he will have to be alone with his disciples before he goes to Calvary to die. It is also interesting that Jesus goes to Decapolis. If you will remember, the people of that region had asked Jesus to leave their country. I preached on this a couple weeks ago in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus had cast a legion of demons out of the, that demoniac at that day. Those demons had entered into the herd of swine, and the pigs had all drowned. And the people got angry because of the pigs and because uh, they were killing the swine. Somebody right now is getting upset because I'm talking about their swine. The people of the capitalists had rejected Jesus and forced him to leave. Now he returns and they receive him with open arms. Why the change? What made the difference? The answer can be found in verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. It's right there in our text there, verses 5, uh, Mark chapter 5, 19 and 20. That redeemed demoniac went home and told everyone he met Jesus and what he had done for him. He was such an effective witness that the people were eager for Jesus to come back to town. And when he did, they embraced Jesus. What a lesson for those who know the Lord today. We should be in the business of magnifying the Lord. By the way, my soul got happy, y'all. When I read that Jesus went back, they rejected him, and he would have been justified not to ever return there. But Jesus came back, 
and gave them a second chance. I'm so glad he's not just a God of a second chance, but he is a God of another and another and another chance. Somebody could testify this morning that I blew it more than one time. I messed up more than one time. I've dropped the ball more than one. In fact, I've sinned over and over, but he is a God of another chance. Somebody ought to give God some praises for it because you know and I know that we all come short of the glory of God. But in the midst of our coming short, he still comes wooing after us. He still comes looking for us. He still comes where we at. He is a God of another chance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That may not mean much to you, but I praise God because I messed up over and over again. But the grace of God, the mercy of God keeps coming out. <laughs> he is a God of another chance. I feel my help coming on. Somebody could testify right here. I wish I could take the mic around, that I can go from pew to pew and ask you, how has God been a God of a second chance in your life? And I know somebody can testify this morning that I messed up, but he still came in the midst of my messed up because he loves us in spite of us. Hallelujah. He is a God of another chance. Hallelujah. He keeps drawing. He keeps calling until he gets what he's after. I praise his name this morning, y'all, because he comes back to the capitalist and the people bring a deaf man to him for Jesus to heal him. Jesus heals this poor man and the crowds marvel. They saw his power and they were amazed and they said he has done all things well. Well, let's look at this first point here, y'all. The first point is found right here in verse 32. The man and his condition. Let's look at this man's condition. The Bible tells us that this man was deaf. The word means to be, deaf means to blunt or to be dull. It may have been that this man lost his hearing as a result of an injury. Or he may have been born deaf. Either way, this poor man cannot hear. Not only was he deaf, but he also had a speech impediment. He could, not, he could talk, but his speech was impaired. These two conditions seem to go hand in hand because a deaf person cannot hear themselves saying words. They tend to have trouble using verbal language correctly. While this man's condition is tragic, this verse is a blessing. This man, even though he was handicapped, had people around him that cared about him. They heard that Jesus was passing by and they brought their deaf friend to him to Jesus. And I thank God because when we start these small groups, my prayer is that we have small groups that people will love one another. And no matter what we're going through, that we will bring them to Jesus. That should be our posture, y'all. When we find out somebody's in a situation, when somebody is messed up or somebody has messed up, that we would just carry them to Jesus in prayer, that we will walk with our sisters and brothers. That's the type of small groups we ought 
I'm so, I can't wait. I can't wait because I want some folks around me that when I mess up, when I jack up, they ain't sending me to some psychologist. They ain't sending me to Dr. Oz and they not asking me to consult my horoscope, but they're taking me into the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. Because in the presence of Jesus, there's healing there. There's delivering there. I tell you, they, these people were some awesome people that they knew exactly where this man needed to go. They just believed that the man who cast a legion of demons out of the demoniac could heal this poor handicapped man. Let me make a few observations about physical handicaps before we move on to our next verses. First, there was something in the heart of Jesus that drew him to the handicap. He loved people who were often cast aside by others. Jesus spent much time ministering to those with physical infirmity because he had a heart full of love and compassion for their needs. He loved them and ministered to them. We should do the same, y'all. I'll be glad and I'm praying. I would love to see somebody up here doing sign language. I would love to see somebody that has a heart for the handicap that we can just roll them in. They sit in the aisle and they can worship the Lord. I had an opportunity, y'all, to go to a service of a deaf service. My pastor, former pastor, was preaching down at the church on Broad Street, and I didn't know. I couldn't understand what was going on. But we went into that church, and the joy of the Lord that filled that sanctuary with deaf folks with all their signs and all they were raising their hand. They couldn't speak out of their mouth, but I saw the glory of the Lord all over them. And what an awesome opportunity. What an awesome experience. And it gave me a heart for the handicapped because sometimes we tend to look down our nose at them. Sometimes we don't, we don't offer the same type of assistance that we ought to when we know that somebody don't have those infirmities. But I thank God that I had that experience. But these people bring this handicapped person to Jesus. Let me show some, tell you some things about physical infirmities. Listen, even though he had a physical infirmity, he could not hear nor could he speak. Jesus loves him anyhow because Jesus accepts them just like they are. That's good news to us because the truth of the matter is all of us were handicapped. All of us were walking around crippled. All of us could not hear. All of us had a stumbling tongue. All of us could not see. All of us from birth were handicapped from our mother's womb. When Adam fell, we all were handicapped. But I thank God that Jesus loved us in spite of our handicap. Because while we were handicapped, he stepped into our mess. Somebody ought to be running. <laughs> Woo. I feel it, y'all. Here he come. Here he come. Another observation that rises from these verses has to do with heaven. I'm glad to report to you that there will not be a single handicapped person in heaven. 
there will not be a shriveled body, a feeble mind, or a paralyzed frame in that glorious land. Those precious people who have suffered so much in this world and have trusted Jesus will be delivered forever from their wheelchairs, their crutches, their beds, and their institutions. Their bodies will be made whole and their minds will be renewed. Praise the Lord for that, y'all. But the third observation I see in this text serves to remind us that the physical healing that Jesus performed are but illustrations of what he can do in the spiritual realm. <laughs> Let me say that again, because that was deep, y'all. Third observation serves and reminds us that the physical healings Jesus performed are but illustrations of what he can do in the spiritual realm. You may have a good mind and a healthy body today. You might not be blind, deaf, crippled, paralyzed, or mentally challenged today. But if you are lost, if you, are, you have a far more serious handicap than the physical handicap ever endured by anyone in history, if you are lost, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot hear God. You cannot see God. You cannot feel God. You cannot walk for him. You cannot serve him. Your spiritual body is crippled. And if you die in that condition, you will be lost forever. That is a serious condition to be in today, my sisters and brothers. I just want you to know that you don't have to come in here crippled and leave the same way. You can get your healing today. There is a doctor in this room that can heal your crippledness. He can touch you right where you're at. One of these days, the physical and to mentally handicapped person who have trusted Jesus will leave their infirmities behind forever. They will go to heaven and they will get new bodies and a perfect mind. But if a person dies without Jesus, they will leave this world and be cast into hell. That is a far more serious, that's more serious than any physical handicap person can endure. Well, let's look at this second point, y'all. It's the master and his cure. Verses 33 to 35. The Bible says, the people bring this poor man to Jesus, and he does a great work in the man's life. I want to take a few uh, minutes to show how Jesus ministered to this man. The first thing I noticed is that Jesus took him aside. The crowd expected Jesus to touch him right there and heal him. But Jesus does not embarrass the man. The man is probably already embarrassed. This man is deaf. 
He probably has no idea what is going on. Death will tell you that their afflictions make them a special class of people. Blindness and most other physical handicaps can be seen by others. And those who see the handicap make special allowance for the handicapped person. But you can't see that a person is deaf. Often people will grow impatient with a deaf person because they are having trouble understanding something. Sometimes people treat the deaf like they are less intelligent than others just because they cannot hear them. Often the deaf are embarrassed by their condition and they withdraw into themselves rather than face a harsh staring public. Jesus refused to take, make a spectacle of this man. Jesus takes him aside and does a great work in his life. By taking him aside, Jesus is saying, you are more than a problem. You are an individual and you are important to me and I care about you. Thank God for his personal ministry. He doesn't treat people like they are mere numbers. And I pray that we would never get to the point, Pastor Stephan, that we are more concerned about numbers than people. We said in the beginning, we are concerned about one-on-ones, that we as individuals, as members of this body, we ought to be reaching out to one another and being in ministry with one another. We can't do groups now, but you can pick up a call, a, a, a phone and call one person. You can uh, send an email to one person and say, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. Or you can just send a card or mail a card to one person. Jesus had a personal ministry that he had in mind for this man. And I thank God for his personal ministry because it was personal to me. I don't know about your personal ministry, but I know it was personal for me because I came one Sunday morning on June 22nd. I was sitting up in the balcony at Sharon Baptist Church. It was personal to me when Jesus stopped by my pew. Hallelujah. It was personal to me. And I don't know what your personal experience, but he stepped right in my pew, grabbed my heart, took me out of that pew, and I had to come all the way down from the balcony all the way to the front to profess my faith. And I thank God for his personal ministry. Does anybody got a testimony in here? Do you remember when he personally came after you? Do you, come on, somebody ought to give God some praises. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that time, that hour, that many? Do you remember when you was deep in your sin? Do you remember when you thought you was gonna give up, you could not make it, but he personally, when you have a personal relationship 
it ought to stir up some stuff in you. When I start looking back over my life and where he brought me from, how it was personal. While others was going to jail, others were getting killed in my neighborhood. It was personal. He snatched me. And I ain't up here just to brag or to boast, but I thank God for my personal relationship with Jesus. And you ought to stand to your feet and give God some praises that he brought you out of darkness into the marvelous light. He deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praises. I dare you step and sit on God who did a marvelous work in your life. Here you are in the pew. You could have been dead and gone, crazy in your mind. You could have been out of here. But God loved you so personally that he, whoa! Hey, glory, 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 glory! Whoa, whoa! Mm. 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 Whoa, whoa! It's personal, y'all. This is personal. That's why I praise the way I do. That's why I magnify him the way I do. Do you have a testimony in here? Can you praise him for what the Lord has done in your life? Not looking at me. Holler. Woo. It was personal. It was personal. Jesus, he came all the way back to the Catholic. Personally, for this blind and deaf, this deaf and muted man. Personally, God loves you personally. He cares about what you're going through personally. He understands you individually personally. He knows your fear personally. He knows that magnet that is pulling you back to fear personally. He knows exactly what you're going through right now personally. He knows how many tears that you've stained your pillows with. He knows you personally. He knows your anxieties. He knows your fears. He knows everything about you personally. And I thank God that he knows me personally because when I wanted to give up, he personally came at Personally, I love that about God. Well, let's look how God personally ministered to this young man. How did he personally do it? Well, Jesus, you know, you can't put Jesus in a box. The way that he personally came after you and the way that he personally came after you, Sarah, or you, uh, Katie, or even you, Dave, back there, even you up there on the uh, balcony. You can't put Jesus in a box. Jesus comes to this man. He knows his condition. He says, let me talk to you in a rough way of non-communication. Let me do, which I don't know how to do. But I can illustrate to you today. And that's why I wish I had someone up here doing sign language right now. But let me illustrate to you what Jesus does. First, he sticks his fingers 
in the man's ear to let him know he's going to do something about his deafness. Then he spits and puts it on his finger. Then he touches the, the man's tongue. Now that's gross to many of us. <laughs> but <laughs> who are we to box Jesus in? If Jesus can use a donkey, if Jesus can tell a man to go down to the pool and dip yourself in it, if Jesus can just come down on the ground, pick up some dirt, spit on it, and put it on a man's eye, if Jesus, hallelujah, can just speak a word and it's done, who are we to box Jesus in? I thank God that he can't be boxed in. He healed this man the way that the man could understand. So that could be personal to him. And I thank God all of us have a personal experience with Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he puts it in his ear, his fingers in his ear, on his tongue, he touches it to lubricate his speech. Jesus is attempting to awaken faith in this man's heart. He's trying to get the man to understand that something is about to happen in his life and that Jesus is going to bring about the changes. Whatever the reason is for his actions, Jesus reaches out and touches this man. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For the master's touch, he touched the sick man and made them well. He touched the rot of leprosy and made it clean. He touched our sin-sick souls and made us whole. Jesus wasn't afraid to touch the defiled. He wasn't afraid of being defiled. He knew that sickness and death had to yield to his holiness and power. Jesus just walked up to this poor man and touched him. Praise the Lord for his touch. I was shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, how the joy floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me, and joy overflows my soul. Can <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. The joy, the joy of his touch. When we could not get to him, he left heaven and came into the world to die for our sin. We could not touch him, but he came to our world lived among us, died on the cross to save us, and he touched us. Praise the Lord. He didn't shy away from our defilement, but he took our sins upon himself that, that we might be saved. He touched us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The redeemed are saved. The lost can be saved because Jesus was willing to touch us where we were. By the way, church family, if we are going to reach the lost for Jesus, we are going to have to go where they are. 
We can't insulate ourselves and isolate ourselves as a church. We have to go where they are, and we got to touch them right where they are. Not that we become of the world, but we got to be in the world so that we can touch them. So many times, Christians stay right in their pew, but there's a whole lot of people out there just waiting for somebody to just come touch them. Hallelujah. And their lives might be saved too, but he needs you. He needs I to go out and touch somebody. Somebody's waiting on a touch from you. Somebody's waiting on a call from you. Somebody's waiting on you to pray for them. Somebody's waiting for a visit from you. You ought to go touch somebody. You have to touch someone. There's something about vital touch. There's something about touching someone. After touching him, Jesus looks towards heaven. This act serves for two purposes. First, it told the deaf man where the healing was coming from. Jesus was looking to his father, and he was telling this man via sign language that this healing is coming from above. We ought not to get that mixed up. All healing, all deliverance, every breakthrough, every loosening, every shackle that is broke, every deliverance, anything we get, Everything we have comes from the Lord. So Jesus illustrates to us that we ought to look to the hills from whence come of our help because our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. All of our help, all of our help comes from the Lord. And Jesus illustrates it. Not only did Jesus illustrate it this time, but he illustrated that Lazarus tomb. You remember Lazarus? Lazarus was dead and gone. And Mary and Martha runs out, Jesus, our, our, son, our, our brother would still be alive if you would have not tarried. But Jesus tarried just enough that he was good and gone. And Jesus, feeling the pain and the, the urgency of Mary and Martha, Jesus goes to the side, looks up to heaven, and said, Father, for your glory, will you do this? Jesus looked to his father to do the miraculous, and we ought to look to the Lord also to do. <laughs> Jesus was always in close communion with the father. We'll be more effective in our outreach. We'll be more effective in our ministry to others if we live close to the Lord, spend time with him. Spend time in his word. He blesses those who makes him a priority. After looking towards heaven, Jesus sighed. This word means to groan. Deaf man could not hear the sigh, but he could see Jesus when he did it and it spoke volume to him. The sigh said, I care about you and what you are going through. I praise the Lord that we have a savior who cares. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He cares about you and, you and what you are facing in your life. Did you notice his sigh of compassion immediately came after his communion with God. 
When one has been in the presence of the Almighty, the harshness of human experience will become even clearer. The closer we live to the heart of God, the more we can feel the heartache of our fellow man. Let me say that again. The closer we live to the heart of God, the more we can feel the heartache of our fellow man. The secret of compassion is a life of close communion with the Heavenly Father. The closer our communion with Him, the more effective our ministry to the world around us will be. I pray to the Lord that He will help us to develop a heart of compassion that desires to alleviate the needs it sees. One day, a little boy came home from school, and he looked rather sad. His mother said, honey, is everything all right? He said, well, I guess so. But Billy came to school today and told the class that his daddy had just died. And then he said to the teacher, they just buried him yesterday. Then he said, Mama, Billy was so upset that all he did was cry all day. Mama said to Billy then, uh, to, to the son, uh, what did you do? He looked at his mama and said, Mama, I put my head down on my desk and I cried along with him. When was the last time you cried for someone? Realizing the pain that they were going through, realizing that they were on their way to hell. When was the last time you cried for your community, your loved ones that are not saved? Someone working with you 20, 30 years, and you know they're on their way. When was the last time you cried? Paul cried. Jesus cried. When was your heart ever moved to cry for a community of someone else outside of you? You ought to be crying. It should burden your heart to realize and recognize that somebody, while you're up there shouting in glory, Somebody's going to be down in hell that you know personally, tormenting over, over, and over again. You ought to be crying and weeping unto the Lord. Lord, save them. Lord, deliver them. Heal them. Bring them out of whatever they is. You ought to cry. Some when was the last time you cried? Well, Jesus does something that amazes me. He says to this man, as he looked to heaven and he said one word to him, Ephatha, which means to be open. When Jesus said this, the man's ears were healed and his tongue was loose. He could hear, he could speak. What a miracle that was. One command from Jesus and his life changed forever. That is the power of the Word of God. I've seen spiritually deaf ears opened by the Word of God. I've seen spiritually blind eyes opened by the Word of God. 
I've seen spiritually dead people raised to life by the word of God. I've seen lives changed by the power of the word of God. Do I have a witness here this morning that it was the word of God. Somebody spoke a word and you heard the word of God. It captured your heart and drew you to Jesus. It was the word of God. There's power in the word of God. I, I, I didn't understand it, Pastor Stephan, when I was coming up. My mama used to always say to me, well, you need to get saved. Jesus loves you. And grandmama used to speak a word to me. Folks gave me tracks, said you ought to get saved. You, you ought to get your life together. It was the word of God. They were continually sowing the word of God into me. I didn't understand it, nor did I appreciate it. But that Sunday morning, when the word of God was preached with power and authority, with full of grace and full of truth, the word wrapped itself in the Holy Spirit and caught me by... <laughs> well, let me go to my final point. And let's, 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 let's celebrate, y'all. Uh, this third point, the multitude and their confession. Look at verse 36 and verse 37. As soon as he has accomplished the miracle, <clears throat> Jesus tells the multitude not to tell anyone. He does not want to be identified as a Gentile Messiah. Sometimes we ask why Jesus tells some folks to go and some folks not to go. Because if these people would have kept pronouncing that Jesus is the Messiah of the Gentiles, they would have messed up his whole reason for coming back. Jesus did not just come back for the Gentiles. He came back to be the Messiah of the whole world. Amen. So all he kept telling them, don't say nothing. Don't, because I don't want it to be misconstrued. Because the only reason you are getting excited, because you've seen this miracle, but I got greater works than this. You are going to see who the real Messiah is. It's not just for the Gentiles, it's for the Jews, the Greeks, and everybody else. Everybody, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, I will be their deliverer. So Jesus tells them to be quiet. Stop, don't say nothing. Don't, stop saying something because you're getting excited about the wrong reason. It was a good reason to see a miracle, but that was not the only reason that they should got excited for. But Jesus says, don't say nothing. And the more he said, don't say nothing. Guess what, y'all? The more they said something. The more he said, don't say it. The more they said something. The more he said, stop, shh, don't say nothing. The more they said something. I don't know about you, but those rocks keep crying out. They keep saying something. They keep speaking. Even... <laughs> Woo, woo. He said, don't say nothing. But isn't it amazing, though? He tells them, don't say nothing. But he commands us to say something. And guess what? They say everything, and we don't say anything. We got the command to say something, and we don't say something. 
The redeemed of the Lord ought to say so. If you've been redeemed in here, you ought to say something. You got a miracle. You got a testimony in here. I got a testimony. All of us got a testimony. And you ought to say something. He said, be quiet, but they kept talking. Hallelujah. When he tells us not to go and say something, we don't go. It's not up to you to determine or when you feel like being a witness or when you feel like sharing or, or I feel feel like going out and tell somebody, you've been commanded to be a witness. You ought to say something. You ought to tell somebody. Somebody needs to hear your testimony. That's what I love about meeting all these people that we meet in the afternoon. In fact, we're meeting a group this afternoon, me and Pastor Stephen. I love the testimonies. I listen intently to your testimony because it shows me that God is up to a greater work. It's bigger than me and Stephan. It's bigger than you. God is not in a box. He drew some out of drugs and alcohol, drew some out of home, home, all that other stuff. He drew some out of the alcohol, drew some out of drugs. God is awesome. He is saving folks, and we got witnesses. We sign off and we listen to it. <laughs> He has done all things well. When I look back over my life, and when you look back over your life, you can say that he has done all things well. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. But he has done all things well. In death, he has done all things well. In your sickness or your loved one's sickness, he has done all things well. Where you're at right now, he has done all things well. You may not be able to stand and testify about it right now, but one day when the Spirit of the Lord reveals to you what the Lord was doing all that time, you would have never known that he is a way maker. If your way was blocked, you would never known that he is a doctor if you were never sick. You would never known he can be a lawyer in a courtroom if your loved one was not sitting right there in the courtroom. He does things well, all things he does well. You would have never known that he is the God of all comfort unless you've been comfortless. You would have never known. I tell you, he does things well, I tell you, in fact, the Bible says that all things work together for the good. He does all things well, not only for our good, but his glory. I tell you, can you celebrate today when you look back over your life and where you are right now, that he has done everything well. I tell you, he's done everything well right here at Manoa. We can shout because the Lord has done everything well. He brought Pastor Stephen here. He's done everything well. Brought Estee here. He's done, and Priscilla. He's brought me here, Kelly here. Look at what God is doing in this body. He has done things well, and he's still doing things well, and he's going to do things well, and we ought to celebrate what God is doing right now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We magnify you, and we exalt you. But God, we thank you.
for your word. We thank you, God, that you do all things well. And maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. I want to let you know that in spite of your situation, where you at and what you are going through, God wants to do something well in your life. He wants to save you today. I remember that day. I remember that hour. I didn't appreciate it, but he does all things well. And here I am today preaching and teaching the word of God. Somebody this morning needs to give their life to the Lord. He wants to show you that he does everything well. Is there one today that don't know Jesus in the partners? And just slip up your hands. I'll pray for you. That's all. That's all you have to do. Slip up your hand. I'll pray for you. It's nothing deep. In fact, I'm going to pray for you anyhow because some folks don't want to slip up their hands. Don't feel like they have to publicly acknowledge it. But I just want you to know, without a doubt, what it means to be saved. Can we look to the Lord real quick and uh, ask Jesus to go through this room and save those? Come on, saints, pray that God will save people, those that have not publicly acknowledged it. If you don't know Jesus in the part of your sins, we ask even right now that you would just pray this prayer with me. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I realize and I recognize and I acknowledge that you died on the cross. You were buried and you rose again on the third day. I need you to save me, Lord. I need you to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life and save me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Rule and reign in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I will profess you and be a witness for you, and I will share this day and this hour, this time with anyone that you've sent into my path. Thank you for saving me. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.